Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. This is episode 101, Mile Marker 101. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And we're sitting here in our minivan on the Blue Ridge Parkway in a cloud. In a cloud. A like, dank cloud. Yeah. It's it's a little moist up in here. <laughs> and uh, I just got back from uh, travels with my mom to see my family in Ohio. Just got back yesterday and um, we were right on the edge of Hurricane Ida. And um, it actually hasn't been that bad. Hurricane Fred, a couple weeks ago, we experienced at the top of, uh, almost on the parkway, right next to the parkway. And that was pretty uh, interesting. And so we, I, as a, out of an abundance of caution, decided that um, meeting Gumby at our campsite, like I would first thing tell him like we got to get out of here but he had already gotten out of there and gone to town so (laughs) I ended up meeting him uh, just as the rain was rolling in yesterday and I had a really good time sitting under the roof uh, of a local coffee shop listening to 90s music yeah these dispersed campsites in the mountains generally are like you get to be there for two weeks and a few of them are like three weeks a few of them are a little bit less but mostly you run into two weeks and um this hot redhead that yeah. works for the, uh, the the park kept stopping by and like, um, you know, she was really friendly, but she was really checking on us to see how long we were going to be there, letting us know like, oh, you, you know, when you got to go. And um, so the two weeks was up and it just happened to be up when Teresa was coming back. So I was leaving anyway. But then they had like uh, park employees like going up and down the road, talking to anybody who's camping, like there's some bad weather coming. You might want to consider leaving. We're not necessarily kicking you out, but just so you know. So yeah, with all that rain coming down, it was just a wise move to pack up all the stuff so I could pack it up dry, which is always kind of a concern when we're camping, you know, cause it sucks when you're living in a van and you've got to pack up your stuff wet. Because it's not like you just go straight home and put it over the line and then you go into your dry house. Like that wet stuff comes in your house with you. Mm-hmm. And it really makes your quality of life like really challenging until you hit that big, dry, sunny day that you get to, you know, put everything out and dry out. <laughs> and I'm coming from traveling with my mom who washes clothes every day and heavily scented whatever these beads are that you throw in the wash. I don't know what they are, but they're really potently strong so when I got in the van I was like "Woo, wow 
stink. <laughs> About to say, when you get in our van, you say the same thing, but for different reasons. Yeah, Sherlock's like really potent beads of stank. Woo! Yeah. And uh, I guess today, uh, like I said, we're up on the parkway, but before we left town, um, we checked on Wi-Fi, and it was saying that the parkway was closed. There's gates up here, and we didn't know what we were going what we were going to encounter. So we were trying to go to a campsite on the other side of the parkway, but that was actually uh, gated off. So we came to one of our favorite overlooks that happens to showcase the infamous That Fucking Tree. And we have a whole album of That Fucking Tree, if you look at our Facebook page. Escaping Society. Um, this is a really unique tree. We got high one day and we were coming down from Mount Mitchell and just <laughs> happened to run into this fucking tree or that fucking tree. And we're just like, look how cool this fucking tree is. And we must, uh, I must've taken like, what, like 20 pictures, something made a whole album of it. But yeah. So ever since then, like we kind of look forward to like, Ooh, you know what's next? That fucking tree is coming up. And now I know to look forward to it because we've been away from each other for a week as that fucking tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bad. <laughs> and I think it's, uh, what would you say, pine? It looks like a kind of twisted, um, yeah, like a, a windblown pine tree. Well, there's one over there, too, whatever that is. I think it might be. Yeah, yeah, definitely some kind of pine. And it's been dead for quite some time. And it's just got so much character. Like, I really encourage you to look for this album. Um, If you can't find it, send us a message, and I'll, like, make sure you can see it. Uh, But it's just, like, leaning in this really cool way. Like, it's got so much personality. And the fact that it's dead, I don't know. This tree just moves me. You know, when I look at it, it's, like, it's leaning out. So much of its character is shaped by the sky and the clouds and the topography like all trees are, you know, but it's it's reaching out towards the the abyss. Especially right now, we got our van door open. We're parked right under that fucking tree, and uh, all I can see is this nothing. There's cloud. It's like this white, like you can actually jump off the face of the earth, <laughs> and the tree's reaching for it. It's just so beautiful and poetic. Indeed, and. Uh, speaking of poetic, uh, that's not a segue. Um, you were talking about how 101 kind of has uh, uh, a feeling of uh, like the basics, you know, like what is mile marker 101? So Gumby, would you share a little bit about what a mile marker is? Yeah, we are. I can't believe we are 101 episodes along. Um, for some people, that might be like a mark of their success. <laughs> for us, it's just a mark of we don't know when the fuck to stop. <laughs> so 101, you know, like I was kind of thinking we'd try to do something different for episode 100. I don't know to celebrate like our Escaping Society podcast, but we got so caught up with the momentum of the transhumanist little series we're doing that I didn't even register we read uh, episode 100, even though we said it, you know. I didn't even know you were going to do something special for it. I don't know why I didn't have anything specific in mind, but I was just thinking like way back as we were coming near it and it seemed like we might actually reach 100 episodes like, wow, I wonder if we could do like, I don't know, like favorite clips from I don't know. I don't know (laughs) what it was going to be. But yeah, the momentum of the transhumanist thing, which has really been uh, engaging and eye opening and sobering and shocking and uh, wow. I mean, we've been learning 
so much through following that path, but doing uh, three Rise of Rocco's Basilisk was our 100th episode. And so here we are, 101. We've crossed the uh, centennial mark. And um, I just was looking at the uh, title of this episode and thinking, like, it seems significant to, like, have an episode called 101. You know, you talk about that like kind of a basic class, like, oh, dumpster diving 101 or, you know, whatever. So I guess in that spirit for 101, um, I just want to make sure people know what the mile marker episodes are about. Um, Because we've done a few of them. Yeah. Like we say in our theme song, you know, we uh, live in a van and part of that is living on the road. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean we're always traveling. We actually try to reduce how much we travel uh, for the sake of wear and tear on the van, using gas money, etc. So we travel when we need to. But when you live in a van and you don't own property, you need to pretty often just because people will run you out. You know, you're like a homesteader if you don't move around. So uh, as the song says, the road has become our home. Um, and part of traveling down that road is mile markers. You know, you've got the exits, you've got all the little mile markers here on the parkway. You know, you just see them speed by. So it's kind of a uh, significant for us as we're traveling down this uh, adventure, you know, of uh, exploring van life, exploring uh, escaping society and what that means to us, these mileposts going by. And each episode kind of represents in a a symbolic way our journey um, down this, you know, the challenges we face, the things that we're learning, the things we're exploring, how things are going for us. So our mile marker episodes are sort of a little pause, a little check-in, um, where we just talk about anything. We talk about how van life is going. We talk about what's been on our mind. It's sort of an open forum for us. Um, cause so many of our episodes, like we really research our asses off to like learn new things. And, um, it's a lot of work. So a mile marker is kind of like a little, uh, a break in a way for us just catch our breath and not have to research and just what's on your mind? How are you feeling? What's, you know, let's check in for a minute. So in the spirit of 101, you know, what this is about, that's what a mile marker episode is for me. Would you agree with that, Teresa? Is there anything you feel like uh, you want to add? Um, no. <laughs> and I guess... Well said, well said. I guess, um, especially since we've been apart for a week, we talked... Uh, a lot yesterday when we got back together, but we spend every moment of the day together. Every moment. Every single moment. And so being away from you, I mean, I was thinking of you all the time, thinking of Sherlock and, um, God, I must admit, I mean, I want to hear what you have to say, but I must admit being back in the, uh, the civilized world of being in houses or hotel rooms with my mom. Oh, I was missing these mountains so badly. Mm -hmm. I was missing my Creek where I can just have a baptism every day. I mean, we talk about these things so much and even on the podcast over and over, but it, it's true. So how was your week? Um, even just one part of it. (laughs) I mean, as Teresa just pointed out, you know, like, us spending, like we're a trio, you know, me, Teresa, and Sherlock. I might even say a, uh, I don't know what you'd call a group of four, but the van has its own personality. I mean, when we're away from the van, we do a backpacking trip. It's so much different. A quartet. A quartet. That's exactly right. Um, so when one of those members is missing, it's uh, very jarring. It's very different. 
and especially Teresa and I as the two human members, you know, of course, because we're the we're humans, we have the most overlap, the most common communication, common life experience. So that's even more of a jarring thing when one of us is uh, gone. Um, it was hard. It was a, a whole lot of stillness. And because we had a plan to meet where Teresa had left from, which is a little uh, free campsite at Curtis Creek um, in the mountains, I couldn't just go down the road, which would have been like another you know, distraction, something to do. So being stationed at one place was really challenging. I had to break up my days by having like a, a static day where I just stayed in camp. And that was mainly like reading, listening to other people's podcasts, cooking, uh, doing just kind of the, the general routine that I do. I do my morning and evening exercises, meditating, getting in the, the creek for a bath, etc. And then I do a hiking day where I try to find a trail I'd never hiked before and, uh, you know, one of those trails was like, <laughs> it said 2.7 miles, moderate. Um, so I go hiking this damn thing with Sherlock, who's almost 12 years old now. And it is steep. It's really steep. And we're walking up. I mean, I'm almost having to crawl on my hands and knees in part of it because it's that much of a fucking angle. And I'm walking up this thing, and then these ma- mountain bikers come barreling down, and ah. I hear that. At first, I think a tree's about to fall on us. I just hear something coming down the mountain, and I yell, ho, ho. <laughs> and the mountain bikers, you know, they're really polite because actually you're not supposed to be mountain biking on the trail. They get off their bike and walk past and like, hey, have a good day and everything. And, um, oh, my God, uh, it turned out that this trail, instead of being 2.7 moderate, it was actually four miles strenuous. So I walked all the way up to the parkway, which if you don't know where Curtis Creek is, probably doesn't mean a lot to you. But that was a huge hike. I didn't get any sleep that night because my legs were sore. But anyway, I'd break that up. And then on the third day, I'd go into town and like go to Subway and get, you know, my favorite sub and charge up all the devices at a coffee shop. Um, But being alone, I was kind of looking forward to the newness of it, the instruction of like, what's it like? What kind of other experience is going to inform me here and definitely challenging and great to have Teresa back. <laughs> um, we definitely have over these two and a half years formed a team and, um, you know, we're checking in about van life. So, um, we got a guy like just staring in our van window right now, like a fucking weirdo. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Um, <laughs> And anyway, like, um, (laughs) there hasn't been anybody at this overlook almost all day. Yeah. This dude just literally walked up to the van and fucking like looked in the window, like he's window shopping or something. What the fuck? (laughs) Um, so yeah, it was good to have Teresa back and like, you know, you definitely form like a team where you like split up what has to be done and everything. And you kind of know who does what and to have that interrupted is really hard. Um, and yeah, do you, you can jump in there anytime. This kind of like scattered my whole, if I had any thing well, I was trying to say specifically. And I must say that, uh, it is distracting to have people right outside our van, but I was really going through, uh, I don't know, like if you want to call it a depression or just this sobering feeling when I was out away from our, our regular life, which isn't a regular life for most people. And I was just, I was thinking about 
I really want to get back on track of letting go more and more of society. I, I say, you know, we're suckling at the teat of society. How can you, how can you give up society when society is literally feeding you, you know? So just thinking and, and daydreaming of ways to do that. Um, hopefully some of those ways will start to ease into as the, as the season changes and we start to head back down the mountains. Yeah. I guess another thought I had on the van life thing that now might be a good time to kind of talk about is sometimes living out of a van sucks. You know, like this last week, the weather was actually really kind to me. Um, There were times that I was thinking about like Teresa with her mom and how they were staying in hotel rooms. And then they'd go up and like she was going to stay with her mom at her uncle's house. And I was thinking... That sounds kind of nice to sit there on a couch with this big TV to distract you and like entertain you with the fridge right there to get a cold drink, um, hot shower, you know, and I'm thinking like, it's not that the things that I was doing were bad. I mean, it's not that the, the wild river on a summer day was in any way inferior to a hot shower. Um, exactly the opposite actually. Um, but I don't know. It's, I guess it's the grass is greener. You start thinking like, that sounds kind of nice. <laughs> but I'll say this. The more I do this, the less I'm actually tempted by the alternative. Um, the longer I'm out here, even on days that suck, weeks that suck, that everything starts to stink. One of the things about Curtis Creek is it's really humid. Um, so you never dry anything out completely. So if you're there for the full two weeks... By the end, everything smells kind of mildewy. You haven't been able to dry out all your clothes like completely like you can in some places. But um, I'll have passing thoughts like, man, it'd be cool to just veg out on like fucking uh, the Discovery Channel or something or, <laughs> you know, watching a movie. And I do enjoy that they, when the occasion arises, but it's not worth it. I was just thinking uh, that was kind of exactly what I did when I was at my uncle's house was veg out on the... Uh, Planet Earth and Blue Planet series, because that was the only thing that we could all watch where we weren't arguing. It's what everybody does, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you veg out one way or the other, whether it's social media or a movie or something, and sometimes that's really pleasant. I'm not going to say that there aren't times that, like, I mean, even here in the van, you know, we get our laptops, and it's like, there are times that we watch a movie, and it is perfect. It is the perfect movie at the perfect time, at the perfect moment that we're like, Wow, what a fucking perfect way to spend the evening. Mm-hmm. But to build the whole fucking, like, buy into the whole house, the bills, the electricity, the job, all the things that go with it, the land ownership, um, yeah, I can't honestly say that that tempts me anymore. If anything, when I think about alternatives to van life, I start thinking in terms of more like being a hobo, you know, like... I'm rarely tempted by the house thing, which doesn't mean I've shut that door. I, I don't want to shut any door. There might come a time in my life that I'm like, all right, you know, I want to look for a cheap place. And that, that feels right right now. And uh, I'm not going to feel like I failed or anything. But it's just, yeah, right now it's uh, the challenges of this life feel more reasonable to me than the challenges of the other more uh, socially connected life. It is so boring sitting in a house. And we have boredom out here. 
um, my part of the week before I left was a week of my mom with us in the mountains. <laughs> and mother-in-law. My mom. She's a personality. She is a, you know, we had a hurricane before we got to Curtis Creek. We had a hurricane as we were leaving Curtis Creek. My mom was the hurricane in the middle. <laughs> and she just bought a new, like a brand new minivan. Um, if you've listened to our episodes, my dad just died in February. It was very sudden and tragic. And, you know, my mom was kind of uh, given a lot of advice. Uh, don't make any big purchases. So what did she do? She bought a minivan. Um, right off the factory line, it's a Toyota Sienna, just like ours. So, um, she was going, <laughs> it's not just like, ours. okay, it's just like ours, except it's really fancy with a shit ton of things that like can break brand new. Like she ordered the thing before it was built. It was built for her. Yeah. She didn't even see it. So this old, like gas guzzling thing we got it and it's a hybrid. It is a hybrid. Um, Maybe more on that later, but I don't want to spend time talking on this stupid band. But anyway, uh, she was at our campsite, and she was sitting around wondering, like, what's there to do? Like, there's just nothing to do. And it's like, well, you know, you can walk around, maybe, you know, if it's hot, which it really wasn't. Um, but get in the beautiful waters of the mountains. No, I'm not getting in there. I might get Giardia. I was like, okay. Um, so I guess you'll just, I don't know, sit by the fire. Oh no, I don't like the smell of smoke. I live out West and I'm sick of the smell of smoke. And we didn't know until like <laughs> right when she was with us that she would be spending a week with us. As soon as Teresa told me that, I'm like, how's this going to work? I mean, she is not really the type to get in cold rivers. There's no hot shower available at this campsite. Like, I'm not sure what the plan is here. Yeah. And my mom, um... You know, to her credit, she is a tough cookie. She is tough. So she made everything work out. She slept in her van and uh, um, had something to complain about every day, morning, noon, and night. But she did it, and I'm I'm proud of her for doing that. Um, but yeah, just to think about, like, reflecting on, she thinks our life, there's nothing to do. And I think her life, there's really nothing to do. Because at least in our life, you know, we've got... Collecting firewood, making sure the fire's stoked up, cooking over the fire. We do our, you know, routines each day, walking Sherlock and meditating and all that. And I just felt like her life, she was just, you know, doing crossword puzzles and complaining. I think in both lives, it's kind of the same challenge. Um, like I said, I was bored a lot during the week when I was by myself. And I've also, like, when we get a hotel room... We're just there for one night, and I just really immerse myself in all the things that I don't get to have. I watch TV like it's a marathon, you know, till 11 o'clock. Um, I'm on Wi-Fi the whole time, like, you know, tang tangling with people on Facebook. Ooh, entertaining. And, you know, it's just, it's the same. By the time I get done with that, I'm so fucking bored. It's just so boring. And it's the same challenge either way. But one of the things I like about living in a van is I've stripped away a lot of the distractions. I have to face the boredom. I'm not so easily like, ooh, here's the flashy thing. Oh, next TV show. 
let me tell you, when we got away from TV and then started, like, would come back to it every now and then when we got a hotel room, it was jarring to see how television programs, like, immediately go to the next television program. There's no commercial break between. It's like, it's it's so unveiled and unmasked to me as someone who stepped away that all it is is the flashy little thing it's 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 unmasked as a distraction that's all it is it's meant to distract you these precious hours of our life you're going to fucking die you are going to fucking die and we have these screens these machines all around us that all they do is eat up our time mm-hmm. as if time was a burden what the fuck madness is that the time is a burden that time is sand Spilling out through that hourglass. We've only got so much of it. And I still don't know how to use that time too much. Um, There are too many moments that I'm not using the time well when I'm living in a van. But I'm fucking closer to facing that than I am in the house, surrounded by all the distractions that mean nothing, less than nothing, because they're actually brainwashing me into thinking in completely fictitious ways. And, uh, you know, your mom, as I've told you, Teresa, like, I actually like your mom. I debate with her all the time. I try not to, like, (laughs) engage her, like, introduce a debate, but she will approach me. I think she just kind of, like, gets an idea in her head, and she's like, oh, he's not going to have anything for this. (laughs) She don't know me very well, does she? (laughs) I always have something for this. But we get into some really heated debates, and, um... Some but one like heart palpitation inducing debates. Yeah, they get really heated. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I'd say about your mom and also my mom as well, and basically anybody at this point that still lives in a house that we end up engaging with for any period of time, is I see the window that they represent of what they're getting fed through the TV and everything. And it makes me so fucking glad I'm not plugged in anymore. I'm still plugged in more than somebody out there who doesn't have a van, who's like wearing buckskins and everything. I'm not trying to put myself on the pedestal like I've escaped society. But when I see the contrast of somebody who's still completely on the grid and I see what they're getting filled with, thank God I'm getting out of that. The madness is fucking flown so much further off the goddamn hook since I had a trailer and a TV that I'm so glad I pulled the the cord and jumped out of the plane when I did. It's terrifying. (laughs) It's, and it's sad too, because my mom has always been tightly wound, but she was fairly unique in her responses and she's still got a mixture of views, but Uh, A lot of them can be predicted nowadays. And what I mean by that is, you know, we we listen to our podcasts, which are kind of like our TV, um, and they talk about different stories and how the media is, you know, propagandizing all these different angles, whether it's COVID or whatever, uh, the T word, Trump. (laughs) <laughs> I got you remember it. when you actually like we were uh, talking about how I think they have literally brainwashed people around Trump like it's a trigger it's a it's a hypnotized trigger and then you just looked at your mom and you said Trump and she bit her lip and she said I'm biting my lip 
And then she couldn't help it. She launched into a tirade against Trump. And I've seen my mom, who my mom is completely different than Teresa's mom. I've seen her launch into the exact same fucking tirade. They have no idea they're being fed this narrative. And listen, before I said that word, the T word, we weren't talking about Trump. We were having a different conversation. I just wanted to see what would happen just to like fuck with her. And it, it was, it was scary. Yeah. Literally, she just looked at her mom and said, Trump, like a trigger. And it set her off. And if that's not a hypnotizing thing, I don't, I don't know where it came from. I don't know. I don't care about Donald Trump. Like, whatever. He was a president. Lord knows I didn't vote for him. Uh, I don't, like, it, it's it's just not on my radar of things to really care about. But for some reason, some people are really um, focusing their hatred on this person. And it's, it's scary. And I think that's what he was designed for. Um, I've been thinking a lot, like, you know, when I get on Facebook, I kind of, that's my delving into the world and... You know, I run into people now and then and have conversations with them. But more and more, it's been becoming clear to me that there's like some kind of hypnosis going on. Oh, yeah. There is a shared narrative that is, I mean, you can almost hear these people talk in unison. When you step out of that, it's fucking spooky to come back to that and like, my God, do you guys not see what they're doing to you? I'm not saying that there's anything like talking, there's anything wrong with talking shit about Trump. You want to talk shit about Trump? You want to like be awake and talk intelligently? Like I can, you know, step right up there with you. Trump was not a good guy, but I think he was used for hypnosis purposes. He was used to kind of like be controlled opposition for the people that were turned off to the government and also for outright opposition for people who were, I don't know, here's where I'm going out on a limb here that I don't really know how to explain it, but like as a focal point, an anchor for the left, that if they get their hatred so riled up to a certain degree concerning Trump as their their core, their trigger point, that that kind of got them in a hypnotic state for what came afterwards. Then all you have to do is use the trigger. Okay. Trump. And anything that Trump supports is automatically, by contrast, you're against it. You feel it in your bones as if it was your own thinking. And anything that Trump um, opposes, just naturally, without giving it any critical thinking, you must like. It is fucking creepy. You- and when I, I th- consider this pandemic... I've been in so many debates lately about the fucking vaccines. One of the reasons I don't get a vaccine and that I don't think, and I'm again, I don't believe in shutting doors. I'm not going to say I will never get a vaccine. But, or whatever those things are. Or whatever the fuck they are, gene therapy or whatever. But I will say that the more I interact with the public, the more I am like, whatever the fuck is going on with this vaccine, I'm not getting any goddamn where near it. Because something has happened to these people that are pro-vaccine. They have been hypnotized. They are not talking like they used to. There is something spooky. I hear people talking about, oh, if a kid, like, you know, uh, 
doesn't get vaccinated or whatever and they die, serves them right. Fuck them. I hope they die a slow, painful death. I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? Like, do you not hear the words coming out of your mouth? These are people that wouldn't have said shit like that before. Something has happened and it is creepy. And whatever the fuck it is, I'd rather die from a virus if that's what it takes than drink whatever the fuck they just drank because whatever they're calling life anymore, it looks worth worse than death to me. You reminded me of we've mentioned Darren Brown on the podcast before, the guy that's like the um hypnotist magician that has revealed how he does the hypnosis on people mm-hmm. and that anchor like you were saying Trump and what were those signs in people's yards that during the presidential election in 2020 it was like anyone else or like you know what I'm saying any blue will do yeah or or what was it adult any adult or something any functioning ad- I thought that one was kind of funny. Any functioning adult. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> and then they got Biden. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was... It really... And your mom's fucking calling him Uncle Joe as if yeah. she's... That was another debate we got into. I'm like, you're acting like he's a member of your goddamn family. Go up there some Thanksgiving and knock on the gate and see if you get mashed potatoes or if you even <laughs> get to see the motherfucker. You're calling him Uncle Joe. And this Mamala Kamala, like they're members of your family. See if they're treated like, how do you not see propaganda? Yeah. It's crazy. And there was something else that I thought was interesting. You didn't get to see it, but you were talking about the the hypnotized in unison. And the story that we heard on one of the podcasts about this, I guess it was a, a viral video or commercial of a doctor. I think she was a pediatric, maybe emergency room doctor and how when children come in and they're on their, you know, last breath and they're getting intubated in the hospital, they're like, I wish I would have had the vaccine. And what came out of my uncle and my mom's mouths at the exact same time was I don't want you to be going on your deathbed and wishing that you had the vaccine with your last dying breaths (laughs) or breath. And I just, I, I know now what I'm up against and it's just, it's really saddening to me. And I've told Teresa, if she does her own research and like wants to get the vaccine, I don't see that as like a division between us. For me, it's become something else. I don't, I'm not convinced by the supposed health benefits of the vaccine. From what I've heard and from our research, I'm skeptical of the treatment. I think the danger of the vaccine um, has been exaggerated. And I think. Of the virus, you mean? Of the virus, yeah. Has been exaggerated. And I think. More and more, I'm thinking this thing was in- intentionally unleashed on us. And I don't have any evidence for that. that that's an opinion. Um, I have some strong supportive, uh, coincidences, like for instance, the connections to Wuhan that are pretty fucking suspect, but it's become for me an ethical issue. Like when you, I've had people argue with me, oh, well, if you get sick, are you going to want to take a hospital bed away from somebody else? Right. And I'm like, 
Does that make fucking sense to you? Do you think you're being logical right now? You got the vaccine. So, from what I've heard, and we know this from Teresa's brother who got vaccinated and now has COVID, it doesn't protect you from COVID. You are still contagious. That was another debate I had with your mom that she's like trying to get, you know, like, you know saying, why aren't you getting vaccinated to us? And I'm like, look at your your son. He's got COVID. You are saying you don't want to get too close to him because assuming he may be contagious. So it, it you're still contagious. I don't know why the fuck people are getting vaccinated. And if people are all stupid uh, Trump supporters, inbreeders that won't get the vaccine and we're being treated this badly, there's names like uh, Plague Rat being attributed to these people and like you should fucking die because you're so stupid that you make a choice like this with your own body. I'm like, so am I to believe that you're worried that I'm going to take a bed away from another stupid inbreeder that you hate? That didn't get the vaccine because I don't understand the logic here. If you got vaccinated and you're protected, you probably don't need one of those hospital beds, right? Otherwise, why the fuck did you get vaccinated? So if I'm taking the bed away from another person that's so lowly and inbred and disgusting as me, what do you care? You're saying basically we all should die. This is the hypnosis. It makes no sense. The logic doesn't hold up. Remember when my mask protected you and your mask protected me? Yeah. <laughs> and, oh no, I think Sherlock Linda just farted. Um, I need a mask. <laughs> <laughs> Sherlock's butt needs a mask. Now that's a fucking pandemic. Um, I wrote down, my shot doesn't protect you and your shot doesn't protect me. My shot protects me, and I'll be damned if I'm going to pay for people who don't get the shot to be hospitalized. Because really, that's what I heard as far as the argument, aside from taking a hospital bed, is I don't want my insurance to go up because some anti-vaxxer, Trump-supporting redneck didn't want to get the shot. And my uncle... You know, both my mom and my uncle assume that I'm going to die from COVID because I'm, I'm I haven't gotten the shot, um, which is nice to have that you know kind of voodoo over your head, <laughs> and uh, and also you know they've both told me that they don't care. You know, if I die, it's my fault because I didn't listen to the scientists. At this point, knowing how stubborn I am and how stubborn my mom is and how much this runs in my family. I think for the first time in my life, I might fucking live to be 110 just to show these sons of bitches I'm not going to die of COVID. I, it's the first incentive I've ever had to live a long life. And the only thing like, well, that was kind of a new one on me that you just introduced, which was the, what was it? The insurance rates might go up. Yeah. I mean, that's a problem with the fucking insurance companies. Exactly. That's not a problem with people deciding what they think is the best for their own fucking bodies. Do you think your your body is government property? What if the government steps in and says, oh, we actually like to control the population. You're not allowed to, allowed to have kids anymore. Are you just going <laughs> to like decide like, oh, well, the government told me I can't have a baby. 
That's not what I've fucking been seeing because my whole generation, we've been aware of overpopulation. People are still having babies. Yeah. And, you know, this whole like, oh, if you make a stupid decision, then you should be the back of the line for emergency care. You mean like what? Driving in a car? Are you not aware of the rate of automobile accidents? So if somebody comes in after getting in a car wreck, is the nurse just supposed to say, oh, I'm sorry. Did you not know that vehicles were dangerous? Back of the line. Oh, you've got skin cancer, melanoma. Ooh, did you go outside? Oh, I thought we told you the sun gives you cancer. Back of the line. Ooh, you were eating McDonald's for a couple times in your life. Take your fat ass to the back (laughs) of the line. Every fucking thing that happens to us, basically, if you look for it, we have a measure of responsibility for. And almost all of it, at least in retrospect, is avoidable. So let me tell you, from what our research, there are people that are getting vaccines that are getting fucking sick. If you have not ran into that information yet, here it is. Here it is for the first time. If you haven't run into it yet, there are people getting vaccinated that are fucking getting sick. I've actually, I thought everybody knew this. <laughs> I am blown away by what people don't fucking know because they're just taking all their information from mainstream media. I had some time in the hotel room to look things up, and I apologize if I've gotten the source wrong, but I was trying to stick with sources that were the, um, like approved of sources for people who are very hotly debating the, you know, issue of getting a shot. So I believe it was the CDC website, cdc.gov, that said breakthrough cases of COVID. In other words, getting COVID after you have been fully vaccinated and the shot has been in your second shot has been in your system for I don't know how many weeks, two weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is, and you get sick. A breakthrough case is only counted if you are hospitalized and or die from COVID. So my brother was fully vaccinated and this happened weeks after his second shot. Weeks. Like, I think he was fully vaccinated at the end of March. He got both his shots in March, 30 days apart, because there's 31 days in March. Anyway, the point is, he just got sick in, what was this last month? August. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been several months that he's had these, you know, working things in his body, which I guess is now the reason why we have to get booster shots if you want to have protection against COVID. Remember when it was going to be just like one, maybe two shots, depending on what vaccine you get? Yeah. Remember when it was going to be, what was it, a week of lockdown? Yeah. and <laughs> Two weeks. And my brother's case of being sick is not counted as a breakthrough case because he was not hospitalized, nor did he die from COVID. So, you know, he's recovering. Um, I think he ended up getting a false, or not false, uh, a negative test. He had Several, uh, I keep saying false because it was like a false negative that he got when he was really sick. And then he got positive tests after he went to a different place to be tested. He got two positive COVID tests and now he has a negative COVID test. So who knows? (laughs) All I know is I saw him, he sat in a chair, we were outside, it was really hot and he looked like he had been run over by a truck. And he said that 
when he first was feeling sick, the first indication was he felt like he had cement blocks on his chest. Hmm. But he doesn't feel that way anymore. And um, so I guess what I was getting at was we don't know how many people are actually getting sick after they get fully vaccinated. And what's concerning, too, is uh, they were saying that the vaccines were very effective, like 99.9% effective. And yet there was only a chance of death or a death rate of like 0.1%. So it kind of all comes out even whether or yeah, not. Yeah, I was about to say 99 <laughs> point, what'd you say? It's like 99.9% or something. 99.9% effective. Yeah. Now the death rate, if you don't have the vaccine is what one tenth of one percent? Yeah, and it's so it basically fucking comes out to the same thing whether you got vaccinated or not. And it, it could have fluctuated since then because now we have all the different variants that they weren't counting on when they first pumped out this. Which they're g- blaming g- the unvaccinated for. That's the biggest argument I've heard. I wasn't like I didn't even think about the insurance company. You know, I think that's a just a fucking lame capitalist argument. Like you're gonna. Blame people for uh, making a decision for their own health, and then your insurance company penalizes you, and you're going to blame the people? Yeah. Like, fucking get over your goddamn self. Well, rise up against the insurance company. This hasn't been happening since COVID. It's been happening since insurance, because insurance companies want to be super rich. Now, I have heard the argument that people are saying, Oh, well, it's going to keep mutating, so that's why the vaccines aren't working. I got vaccinated against this one strain of COVID. That would have fucking worked. But since you assholes aren't getting vaccinated, it mutates. And now I don't have any protection against this new strain, so that's why the vaccinated sometimes get sick. So... Let me get this straight. You got this fucking experimental shit jammed in your arm that they're now saying you need to get two, three indefinite shots that you now you're fucking on their nipple. And the understanding is that it doesn't protect you from getting sick. You can still be contagious. Really, the only thing it does is that possibly, possibly it could stop the COVID virus, and this is kind of a debated, you know, the other points of view get censored. There are scientists who say that's not the way the shit works. There are scientists saying this. You don't get to hear that unless you really dig for it because they censor this shit. We've seen it ourselves. We fucking found some of this shit. So when they say that, basically you got that needle in your arm knowing there are people who don't want to do it knowing that that needle in your arm is basically fucking useless. You just got some experimental weird shit jammed into you, non-FDA approved until recently, that's not going to work unless everybody does it. So now, you know what you you just got jammed into your arm? (laughs) Ready-made enemies. Because now you have to be, what do they call it in religions, a proselytizer? Uh, Or evangelizer of... Yeah. You have to be in the cult because if everybody doesn't do it, it doesn't work. So now you have to shame, bully, just outright with hostility, try to force this on other people. Otherwise, your decision doesn't make sense. That's some creepy fucking shit. 
I'm going to say one other thing about COVID, and then if you want to say one other thing about COVID, and then we'll try to move on, because I know people don't necessarily come to our podcast to listen about COVID rants, but mm-hmm. it, it's something that, you know, because my brother was sick with it, I figured, it, you know, it'd be okay to bring up. My brother, evidently, you know, he must have gotten some sort of variant that wasn't covered by this gene therapy thingy. How then can you not say that whatever happened in his body wasn't a mutation that might actually be more dangerous than if he hadn't gotten that gene therapy thingy shot into his body? I I don't understand because I was trying to figure out how if even everyone on the entire planet got this shot, but it doesn't prevent you from getting sick, it only is supposedly preventing the uh, severe severity of it. So the severe symptoms that could hospitalize you. Which is debatable. How is it that it would stop the virus? And do we even want to stop a virus? We've touched on that before. And I'll conclude by saying that it the, uh, the shot was questioned, um, there's some more people here, it was questionable as to whether or not it reduced the viral load that was supposedly, you know, causing people to be more infectious to others. And since then, it's been proven that it does not reduce the viral load of the new Delta variant. So my brother was as infectious as he, (laughs) as he would have been without the shot. So I just don't understand the logic. I don't think there is much logic behind this. No, and even the, uh, you know, if you ask questions, if you're not on board with the vaccines, you're not, people don't try to rationally explain things to you. You're met with outright hostility. Some of the meanest shit from the same camp that used to say, oh, love trumps hate. All love is good love. These same people are saying more hateful shit than I ever heard come out of the Trump camp towards anyone. Um, And I guess you said you wanted to say one last thing about COVID and you wanted me, if I wanted to, to say one last thing about COVID. One other thing that I want to bring up that I had on my kind of list of thoughts for the week was Teresa and I both experienced this. And this is just of a weird thing and I don't know what to make of it right now. It's an observation. But we both noticed that when we go to town, we feel worse that's when we start feeling like we might have COVID symptoms. When we go back up into the mountains away from town, I'm not saying like we're the the pictures of health. You know, we go through shit. We have bad days. We feel under the weather. But it's not like going to town. Mm -hmm. There's something that happens. And Teresa, like, think about this and weigh in on this. But remember, remember how many times we've gone into town and like independently we've like, wow, I just feel really bad all of a sudden. What is... Like itchy and just kind of more than it. throat. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, all kinds of symptoms. Like, do you remember how many times that's happened? Especially last year, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's just a random observation. I'm not going to try to make a theory about that right now, but I find that strange. I find that really strange that when I get around town... I feel these things, and then I get up in the mountains, and from my understanding of the way viruses work, 
This should not be the case. If I pick up something from town, I carry it to the mountains. I should run into it in the mountains because we run into people in the mountains. Some of the the most uh, the biggest conversations we have with people directly are right there in the mountains, right? Yep. Something is weird about that. I concur. And something else, I guess, that, uh, <laughs> you know, talking about illogical, my uh, my family, I'll just leave it at that. I won't name names. But a lot of my family gets very defensive about, oh, the climate change. And we've talked so much on our various seasons of episodes about, you know, Greta Thunberg, um, you know, climate crisis, climate change, global warming, climate science, climate catastrophe, whatever you want to call it. Um, Many people observe that there's something going on with our planet. And I've said before, I don't know what you call it. And I'm not sure exactly, you know, how much humans are causing this to accelerate. I'm not saying that humans aren't causing it because I think our lifestyles are kind of just shit garbage. So when I was talking to my family members, you know, they, they get very defensive about recycling, um, wanting to say that the municipalities where they recycle have to recycle if there's a number on the package. And I'm like, no, they, they don't. That's not how this works. And, you know, being questioned like, well, where does it end up? And, you know, another family member chiming in like, well, they probably just throw it in the ocean. Upcycle creation. <laughs> yeah. Our episode upcycle creations, part one and two. Um, but yeah, so, you know, observing how the, the choir, the, uh, the hypnotized responses about climate change are so loud, and yet I don't see any cutting down on air conditioning. I don't see any cutting down on plastic products and packaging. I don't see any cutting down on use, the use of uh, herbicides and pesticides. I don't see any batting of an eye when you say... Uh, when I, when my family members say like, oh, those school buses are very nice. They're nice and air conditioned, new school buses. And yet you're talking about climate change and how we should be worried about it. I just, I don't understand the logic of all this. Like, you know, if you're, if you're saying that there's climate change or climate crisis and things are getting really bad, you're a part of it. I know I'm a part of it and I live outside most of the time. But I'm not, you know, squeaky clean in this. And I just, you know, the the lack of uh, caring, the, the lack of looking at how illogical, you know, what you're saying and what you're doing doesn't match. It's just, it really made my head spin. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving a, a close, deeper look at a lot of my views lately because uh, there's so many things I thought and I'm seeing how they're getting used now, um, and they're leading to some terrifying places. Like climate change is something I'm re-looking at. I used to tell people all the time, 200 species are dying a day. You know, climate change. We're fucking changing the climate. Then, And my argument was that's why we need to quit doing what we're doing. And I still believe that. But I hesitate to throw my chips in behind the argument anymore because the argument 
has been co-opted. I wonder if this is what Ted Kaczynski was talking about. You remember that quote where he said, beware of the leftists, because if you let them into your group, they will co-opt your movement? Yep. That's exactly what the fuck I'm seeing, that all these things I've said, these leftists have jumped in, have taken an argument that sounds so eerily similar, but are taking it for reasons to lead us in an entirely different direction than where I was going. I've seen it with the cops. I was all, you know, we did police state against the cops. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly people are turning against the cops. But it's not for like anarchism or getting free of the government. It's for opening a door that looks maybe worse than the fucking cops. And I'm like, man, I, I, you know, I started wondering, am I feeling regret for doing like police state? In a way, I kind of do because I'm seeing where things are going. And it's like, wow, that is not what I had in mind. Another thing that came up, well, what were we talking about what recently? What exactly do you mean when you say like it might lead to something worse or like they're opening the door for something else? What what do you think that other thing might be? Well, because this police thing is getting tied into this critical race theory, which I think is a very dangerous fucking theory, mm. where because you are white, you are intrinsically racist, that the government is institutionalized racism. Now, I think racism plays a part, as we've talked about, but where they're taking this is really divisive. It actually makes us weaker. We get so fucking distracted by racism, which I feel like is a pretty low-level factor at this point compared to classism. If you're having struggles, I think it's got more to do with you fucking being poor than you being black or white. Or any color. Mm -hmm. Because if you're rich... It doesn't give me, mean anything whether you're black or white. If you're fucking rich and you got the bills to lay down, you've got power and you accept that power and the abuses that go with it. There is something bigger happening than the racism that we're getting sidetracked by. And this whole fucking cop defunding the police shit, I feel like it's, it's not what I had in mind anyway. It's getting tied into another agenda that I don't agree with. Co-opting, yeah. And there was something we were just talking about earlier that I was thinking the same thing, and it's slipping my mind right now. That jog anything when I say that? Well, you had something on there about um, funding court cases. Well, that's a whole different thing. But, uh, yeah, I'll think of, I'll jump back in if I think of what that thing is, but I guess that's all I have to... Did I answer your question about yeah. the cops? Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I just... I was wondering what that thing might be. <laughs> well, don't wait for me. <laughs> what else do you got? Um, I guess, you know, since our time is coming to a close, we try to, you know, we say we shoot for an hour, but sometimes it turns into like, oh, my God, one time it turned into over four hours. We'll hopefully never do that again. Mm. Um, but just, you know, this is meant to be a check-in of how van life is going, and we did talk about that Um some of the structural things I wanted to talk about that we're uh, dealing with right now is our passenger side door that's an automatic door stopped working, so we don't use that anymore. So having like one functioning door in the back <laughs> has been a big adjustment. Um, we're hoping we can like 
get down around town on some cool day that we want to be there, get around Wi-Fi and see if we can find some videos and maybe fix this automatic door or at least uh, turn it into a manual, manual door, but yeah. make it a working door again. And um, I like that idea the best. Actually. And just recently we're smelling like kind of a new hot smell in the van that could be oil. So, uh, oh, you know, we uh, have have a history of running into trouble at this section of the mountains and I do believe there are, um, I don't know, energies of events that are connected with place. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works, but when we get around Mount Mitchell, this is around the time our radiator blew last summer. Um, I think this is a place that is somehow structurally dangerous for us <laughs> doing van life. And I don't know why. But I do believe, like I've I've seen it during survival trips before too, that there are certain places that, for no reason I can fathom, I just can't get a fire. I'll fucking like crank and crank on a bow drill, and if I take a little walk away from that place, boom, I get a fire. There's just something about that place over and over. I can't get a fire right there. It's not noticeably wetter or different trees or anything I can put my finger on. So I think place often carries some kind of energy that affects things that we can't fathom. So there's that going on with the van right now. So we're uh, hoping, you know, like we can kind of keep up with that and that the van keeps running and we can stay on top of stuff. And uh, yeah, just a little bit of housekeeping there. Oh, and I think I, I remember this correctly. I can't, I cannot guarantee I'm pronouncing it right, but do you know the name of the mountain that we know of as Mount Mitchell in like the before times it, it before it was Mount Mitchell? Mm-mm. I think it's Atacola. Hmm. Atacola? I saw that somewhere. But yeah, I guess I always wonder, like, well, it's not always been Mount Mitchell. Who's had a name for it before then? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess if uh, if it were my... Oh, it is my podcast. Um, if you have anything else before this, but I'd love to close with our spirit story. Speaking of place... I just remembered that thing that I wasn't, uh, that I felt like I kind of co-opted. Go for it. Um, overpopulation. That's something we've talked a lot about. It's like, there's too fucking many people. Why do we keep having all these kids? And, um, now that I've started studying transhumanism, when, uh, you know, so much of this, I feel like Kaczynski saw so much that even now I thought, you know, like, oh, I read Kaczynski but I'm still getting new windows into what he shared. Like, oh, maybe that's what he meant. But one of the things Kaczynski said that I kind of filed away in my mind and didn't pay much attention to was he encouraged what might be called wrong thinkers now, the deplorables, the domestic terrorists, the people that aren't getting in line with what's happening to have kids. Because he's saying, this is how we're going to continue. You're going to teach your kids. You're going to raise them a certain way. This is how we continue a resistance, a people that are connected to wildness, a certain way of living. I filed that away in my mind, like, oh, he makes a good point, but still, you know, overpopulation. Turns out that from what I just heard from a podcast I was listening to, Unsafe Space, that the numbers of kids that people are having in both America and the UK have dipped under a sustainable level for the first time in recorded history. At first, that seems good. 
It's like, well, we're overpopulated, about damn time. But I happen to receive this fact at the same time we're studying transhumanism. Hmm. And we're exploring some of the agendas, some of the goals of this reliance on technology, like genetic engineering, cloning children, uh, science taking complete control of our lives. And I'm wondering if I was on the wrong side of things. Hmm. Maybe just a man and a woman getting together in the way that has been happening since before there were humans to have a baby, a biological baby to reproduce in the wild way. Maybe that's something we should not have made an enemy of in spite of overpopulation. Mm. Because now that I see what it's being used for, once again, it's like, oh, well, look, we solved overpopulation. But it's being used for a bigger reliance on technology and more government control. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I'm starting to wonder what the fuck, like, (laughs) oh, man, it's dangerous. It's dangerous doing a podcast. It's dangerous saying anything. It's dangerous holding a view. Um, There are people that have warned us about things like this because – You never know what your words may be used. I'm not saying like we had the influence, we're the reason. But what your words in retrospect, where they fall, what they end up supporting. And sometimes you're horrified by where those kinds of thoughts led with other people having those thoughts. Camps that you never wanted to be in, that you don't agree with. And uh, Teresa and I have been been having a lot of conversations lately with uh, about, you know, We just need to work on ourselves. Fuck everybody else. (laughs) You know, and if that offends you, fuck you. I mean, you need to work on that. Yeah, work on that shit. Work on yourself. You're not going to convince anybody. And even if you do convince them of something, you throw your voice into something, they might take whatever change you made in them into a direction more dangerous than you ever intended. Fucking get out there and do your own shit. And yeah, that's just something that we're thinking about more and more. It's like, man, we need to be sitting around fires, coal burning bowls. And, you know, we started to learn how to knit and and, uh, crochet. We need to fucking remind ourselves how to do that. We need to be making our own socks. We need to be out there, like, learning every forageable plant we come across, like, And not just learning it, but actually doing it, Yeah, doing something with it. Yeah, because so many of these views that we've explored, I mean, I'm not the type of person to go out there and like erase a podcast because like, oh, I'm not sure I agree with that anymore. It was my honest view at the time, and I let that stand. But as I listen back through them and I see where the world's heading, some of these things, I'm like, man, I did not foresee that that would be like step two in this game plan and step three fucking horrifies me. Does that make sense to you, Teresa? Indeed, it does. <laughs> and like I said, the last thing I'd, I'd like to share, if um, I know you've been talking, but would you mind uh, helping me share this story of our our visitor that we had a couple weeks ago? You want me to try to tell it and you jump in there where you feel like I'm leaving? Like somebody's got to tell this story, so we got to have a plan. I'll I'll start it off and then I'll 
hand it over to you. Oh, you know me. I'm going to jump in there like in like two seconds. Like, oh, you're telling it wrong. We decided to try out this new campsite. You're telling it wrong. And um, I think the, the only name that we had was something like Buck Creek Road or Buck Creek Campsite. It was a free campsite, right? Um, we get there and it's down this really long dirt road that is for all intent and purposes, there's no one else out there. I'd say it's the most isolated campsite we found in the mountains, wouldn't you? Yeah. There's one of two free campsites, and the other one was evidently a place where maybe some people that fell on hard times had been. And the reason we know that is because they left all their shit there, and now it's all like nasty and moldy and just like full of bugs and dirt. And we took the campsite all the way at the end and hardly saw a single other vehicle come down that road to even look. I We were there for what, like three nights or something? Something like that. And what did we see, like one car, maybe two? We saw two cars on the Saturday morning. Um, neither of them really interacted with us. And then we saw a guy on, I think we left on Sunday or something. Mm-hmm. And he had hiked a long way from actually where we were just camped at, at Curtis Creek, all the way over to Sugar Cove, which is where that the free campsite was, Sugar Cove. And we found out, I found out that the road that we were walking at night to walk Sherlock was called Sugar Cove Road. And it used to be a forest road that went all the way up to the parkway before it fell into disrepair. Now, now for the story. One thing before, if you're going straight to that night. Yeah. Um, we take walks with Sherlock every morning and evening and we kind of like, you know, time it like Teresa carries this like little, (laughs) this little pink watch. I don't know where the fuck he got it. I won it from when I did a gym challenge. Yeah. It looks like something that a kid would wear from the (laughs) eighties, but basically we use the watch to like walk 15 minutes in a certain direction and then we walk back. So we know we've got about a half hour walk. I try to give Sherlock a half hour walk every morning and evening. Um, On one of the walks going down this isolated road, there's a sign buried in the kudzu, and it looks different. It says some kind of, like, notice thing. Yeah, but it's not like a private property or no trespassing sign. No, the font and the information, the the whole structure of the sign looks different. It's something we haven't seen before. Teresa tries to crawl back there through the kudzu. It's not worth it. It's just so fucking full of stuff that she can't really see it. So we just noticed that sign is there. And uh, kind of file it away like, oh, I wonder what that sign's about. I said, oh, I'll bring my camera that I can zoom in on it tomorrow morning when we walk and uh, I'll see what the sign says. So that day we're building up our campfire and doing our business, you know, eating and enjoying life as hobos often do. And (laughs) we go to sleep in the van, the windows are down, and I'm pretty much dead asleep. Like, I am gone and i feel gumby's hand reach over well i should probably tell this part of the story right because you were asleep what i hear i'm asleep too i'm sleeping soundly it's me Teresa, and sherlock in the van as usual um i hear somebody outside talking now we are in a very isolated place and as i'm listening the first thing i think naturally is that that must be Teresa. As I'm, I'm always talking. <laughs> she really is always talking. But except for this, when she gets up to pee in the night, which she often, you know, does, she doesn't talk. There's no reason to talk. I'm asleep. 
Um, you might say, well, you know, maybe she's talking to the dog. But Sherlock is tw- almost 12 years old. His lazy ass doesn't want to get up. You know, he doesn't generally get up with somebody in the middle of the night. He sleeps through it. Um, it's hard to get him out of the van in the morning to take a pee. So that's the first thing that kind of dawns on me as I'm waking up is this is unusual. What would Teresa be talking for? I listen more, and it's got sort of the same, a similar timber as Teresa's. You can hear from Teresa's voice. She doesn't really have a high-pitched, squeaky voice. You know, she's got kind of a, uh, it's a woman's voice, but it's, you know, sort of a, a low. In the lower registers. Lower register of uh, typical feminine voices, you might say. So, you know, that's the first thing that I'm thinking. Thank think- you, darling. <laughs> that's the first thing that, you know, I... <laughs> I noticed, which is why I thought possibly it was Teresa at first. But then as I'm listening closer and noticing the strangeness that she'd be talking at all in the middle of the night, obviously not to me. You know, it's not like an elevated voice. It's not like like she's trying to talk to me. It's like she's having a conversation out there. So I'm waking up more and more like, oh, my God, I hope there's not somebody out there. Who the fuck would be out there that she'd need to talk to at 2 o'clock in the morning? I listen closer, and I realize that this voice is not talking English. I don't know indigenous languages. I'm not going to say, oh, it was an Indian voice. But that was the way I received it. It sounded like a language that didn't strike me as Spanish or German or any voice I'm familiar with, except for some of the survival classes I've been into where we learn like Native American songs, indigenous songs. It sounds like if I had to say it was one type of language or another, like that kind of language. The next thing is I'm listening, you know, at this point, I'm like, what the fuck? So now I'm really listening. It's not Teresa. Or if it is, she's like talking in tongues or some kind of weird shit. Something weird is going on, and I know this at this point. I'm wide awake. I notice another strange thing about the way this voice is happening is that it sounds almost like a song. It sounds like someone singing. It's the strangest um, middle ground between conversation and song. It's not quite what our culture calls a song, as in, you know, like, uh, do you have the time to listen to me whine? You know, our songs are very performative, (laughs) you know, but it's not quite conversation either. Like, you know, everything else we just said on this podcast, just talking. There's something singing about it, but not quite in the way I've been taught singing. It's, It's a strange thing. So at this point, I'm wide awake, and I'm like, is that Teresa? I'm wondering this to myself. So I reach over, and I guess you can take a little bit of the story here, because this is where you come in. I just feel Gumby's hand interfering in my personal business space. All up in your business. In my face, really. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah, she says that a couple times. Like, at first, it's just kind of a grumble, and I'm like, oh, she's going to go back to sleep. I was reaching over there to see if she was there. I wasn't trying to wake her up. So when she's like, you know, I'm like, I really don't have anything to say because I don't know what the fuck's going on because I'm listening. So I'm just like, I don't say anything. I'm like, oh, she's going to go back to sleep. But then a little more awake. She's like, what? And there's this voice that had just been in our campsite, like in the vicinity of where I would have gotten up to go pee, which is generally not very far away from the van. So Gumby's telling me all the stuff that he just shared with you. Not in all the detail. It's just kind of like I heard somebody outside and it was strange. And, 
you know, we're just kind of like at that point, like, oh, my God, like, we don't know what this is. This could be a crazy person. This could be we don't know if it's a threat. So we're laying there quietly listening. And yeah, like I'm holding my breath. And by the way, this campsite's next to a creek because they generally are. So I'm hearing in the background kind of the white noise of the, the water gurgling and, you know, bubbling. But I hear this voice going off in the distance up that road that we walk in the evening, the Sugar Cove Road that used to be a forest road. And I feel like it's it's moving away, but I still hear it. And I'm like, am I going crazy? Because, you know, like, if you yeah. just... She actually said that. She said she heard it, and she's like, am I losing my mind? Yeah, because I'm wondering, like, okay, am I just hearing something because Gumby said he heard something? But no, I heard this same... Like, he hadn't described the voice so much. I described it in the same way back to him. And it had moved much further away in a, uh, a way that, like... No human quickness would have been typical of. And it's I mean, pitch black out there, and there's yeah. no nobody with a flashlight or a candle or anything that we can see. And the voice is moving more into the mountains, not like somebody might have been like taking the road more towards civilization. It's going more into the pitch black roads that go nowhere where anybody lives. And so I guess that's where um, <laughs> we decide, like, well. I guess it's not going to be a threat to us. Well, I want to describe this voice just a little bit more. One of the things that we both uh, felt about the voice was it didn't feel like it was talking to people. There's a certain way people talk to each other. You might say like, oh, I wonder, like, did it sound like it was like two people? Like somebody was talking or they had a voice in their head like they were talking to? It had a certain energy that... And again, it's hard to describe because it's like if you're not getting the same uh, feeling from it, it sounds like, wow, you're, you've gone way too out on a limb. You know, how could you know that? It's a feeling that it was talking to something wild. The impression I got was this was somebody like gathering plants. Earlier that day, I had gotten some jewel weed and I have been trying to talk to plants when I gather. So I talk to plants. I'm like, hi, my name is Gumby. Um, I have so much hi. I have so much respect for your people. Um, could I please take some of your medicine? Um, I really have so much thanks and gratitude, and I will try to like respect your people wherever I go. And then as I'm picking, I'm like, thank you, thank you so much. You know, I try to talk and really like voice that that gratitude. You but know that I talking. respect you. That's talking. This thing that I heard at night. It felt like what I'm striving to do, but somebody that knows how to do it. Mm -hmm. It's a constant prayer. It's a constant song. It has a cadence, but it has all the depth and uh, authenticity of conversation. It Mm -hmm. means something. It's not just somebody with a song stuck in their head. Mm -hmm. And that was my impression. I remember Teresa, like you said, like it felt like somebody talking to something like outside of the human realm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was moving away, and it didn't feel like it was a threat. Um, so Gumby had to pee, so he eventually... <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was laying there kind of scared, you know, not because the voice felt threatening, but just because of the unusualness of the situation. And eventually, 
You know, I'm sitting there with my full bladder having to pee and I'm like, you know what? This is stupid because <laughs> if it's a crazy person or if it's a spirit, this van is not going to keep them out. <laughs> so I might as well step out and take a fucking piss. It's like when you're a kid and you like put your sheet from your bed over your head because that's <laughs> yeah. going to protect you from everything. And eventually through reasoning, you know, like that was really weird. But if it's a threat, there's no point in laying here scared because that's not going to help anything. And we eventually um, both drifted back to sleep, right? Yeah. Yep. And slept. I remember I slept fairly soundly. I mean, after I kind of got it out of my head that it might be a crazy person. But like I said, if it, if it was a crazy person, not saying that they make any sense, but Jesus, we're surrounded by crazy people all the time. And this one was moving away. Yeah. So they didn't bother us. So I'm assuming, you know, we're not a threat to them. They're not a threat to us. So we get up the next morning and we go for our walk down the other way, away from the road that the entity took and toward that sign that Gumby was talking about. And I brought my camera this time and I got as close as I could in the kudzu and I zoomed in and I took a picture. I'm wondering all this time why they put a sign with that much detail that far away so, I mean, nobody can see it. And all this kudzu has grown up over it. And Gumby's a little bit ahead of me because I had to, you know, get my camera out and put it back. And I yell up to him, Oh, you're going to love this because after I zoomed into the picture I took, it read that this is um, your heritage and your culture because it's your land, uh, meaning like American land. And it said, like, if there's any artifacts that you find, please leave them. Um, No one should be digging. Um, You know, I, I guess all I can say is. It was indicating, Sherlock farted again, that... A sign indicated that now that is... Oh, God. Nobody needs a sign for that. Oh, man. Open that door. Oh. <laughs> what you close that door for? Let me take over the story now oh. since uh, you're inundated with Sherlock's fart. Yeah. But it's the first sign that we've seen that is just blatantly acknowledging there was uh, Indians living here there in the distant there. past. Yeah. And this is a place you would expect to find artifacts. Please respect this. We've never seen a sign like this before in the mountains. And to run into that sign the morning after that experience, which also, you know, we've never had that experience like that before, was just a uh, a tremendous coincidence. <laughs> if you believe in such things. So, yeah. So that's our uh, our spirit story. And... I also um, afterwards found out, and I'll save the details of this for another podcast, but if you want to look up, what was that thing called? Civilian Public Service, the CPS in the United States. Check that shit out. And I also want to say that now that I have had some time with this experience, um, I don't tell this as a ghost story, like like a spooky, scary story. I find the whole experience really reassuring. Um, With all this fucking craziness happening in our world, I am uh, moved by the idea that at least on certain nights, that there are spirits of the people that lived on this land, that loved this land, that took care of this land, that still wander these hills and sing songs to it. Maybe gathering songs, maybe just songs of love. Um with the wild things that live here. And um, 
yeah, that's what I take away from that experience is like, wow, you know, like I am really love these mountains even more with the idea that there are spirits wandering around there that are still singing songs. Um, and, and I don't find myself frightened by it. And we put out a spirit plate for each meal thereafter, which wasn't much, but we, we put it out and there just happened to be flat bits of rock that had broken off in such a way that it made a perfect you want to explain what a spirit plate is? We, um, we take a bit of the food that we're about to eat and offer it to the spirit and we put it on something, whether it's a leaf or a piece of bark, or in this case, a, a very flat, thin sheet of rock, like a piece of slate kind of. And we put it somewhere that it's, you know, can be visited by whatever's out there. And I did this with kids one time at one of our camps that we did. And uh, a kid asked me, well, how do you know the animals just don't eat it? And I'm like, um, how do you know the spirits don't move through the animals? Ooh, <laughs> so deep. I love it. Our listener write-in for this episode comes from our our good friend, our old friend, not in age, but just because he's been writing to us for a while. No, I think he is old in age. Okay. Well, we are too. We're all getting older. <laughs> We're getting there. We're all getting older and ageder. Bill from Switzerland. And Bill writes, Hey, y'all. Bill from Switzerland here. I've been wanting to send you a message for a while now to tell you that I'm still listening and supporting you guys. But that would be a lie. <laughs> to be honest, I haven't listened to you in almost a year, and it wasn't until last week that I started up again, listening to you, that is. The year has sucked, and that has kept me from doing anything entertaining and or productive. I haven't read books or listened to or played any music. I guess you could say I was going through a deep chronic depression. Over the last week, though, I've been trying to catch up a little and started to listen to your last three podcasts. It seems like there is a thread of similarity in our lives, and I thought I'd bring it up in this message. Back in May of 2020, my best friend passed away. She was a boxer, pit bull, mixed dog who I picked up on a road in Northern California. Sherlock is panting in the background. He's, he's commiserating. She came with me to Switzerland when I moved here six years ago and has traveled with me throughout Europe. I realized her time was short the day before I had to put her down. So I listened coincidentally to your podcast about death entitled Death Cult the evening before while she slept at my feet. Oh, Bill. (sighs) Your words eased me into what I had to go through the very next day, but could not cut the sting completely. It's been almost a year since her death, and although I'm becoming more myself now, I'm still far from being completely healed. To add insult to injury, just a month after my pup died, my mother passed away, along with my aunt. My uncle and and an old friend from grammar school, all unrelated and occurring within a 30-day period. What the fuck? No, none of these deaths were related to COVID-19. In fact, my entire Swiss family got the virus in November and were all completely fine. Don't get me started on the ridiculousness of this viral mass hysteria. The death of my mother and literally my entire American family was nothing compared to the death of my dog. That may sound callous, but it's the truth. 
as you have often said about Sherlock, my dog was an important part of my tribe, and I would have given my life for her without question. I feel that way too. It made me think about the importance of tribe and who makes up that tribe. My mother, my aunt and uncle, and my childhood friend, while an important part of my life, were not a part of my tribe. They had their own lives, and I rarely saw them. Losing my dog shook my current reality to the core and forced me to rebuild my life over the past year, bit by bit. Anyway, I didn't mean to turn this into a therapy session, but I wanted to share my story after everything that you have experienced recently. I was saddened to hear about Teresa's father's sudden passing. I wish you both my condolences. Keep doing what you do. Just a quick follow-up. Most evenings I walk through the forest and along the Wallensee, which is a small lake west of Bern, Switzerland. I was listening to Hobo Zen and saw that I wasn't the only one inspired by your death cult episode. It's nice to see how we're all connected. In my humble opinion, there really is no such thing as coincidences. Cheers. Thank you as always, Bill. You always send us such amazing, insightful messages and I'm also sorry to hear of your loss. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say to that. Maybe nothing. Yeah, I've had two dogs put down by the needle, and uh, both of them were really traumatic for me. The first one was a dog named Banjo, and my life was in chaos. And uh, this dog had a broken leg, and I was just, everything was upset, and I was mean to the dog. My last experiences with the dog were just impatience and meanness. Ended up in animal shelter, and the day he got put down, I uh, I wasn't there. And um, that haunts me to this day, that this dog, who was so loyal, who just, you know, trusted me implicitly, was surrounded by strangers, and was killed. And I just see that as, like, uh, it's just, yeah, it's bad. And uh, my mom's dog, Melvin, who I spent a lot of time with, I kind of think of him as my dog as well. You know, he was uh, had drank some antifreeze, apparently. His kidneys were failing, and he was... A dog often seems to do a death walk. When a dog gets ready to die, I'll notice they kind of walk off, and there's a certain... I don't even know if it's a posture, it's an energy, but if you look, it's you're like, there's something distinctive about that walk. It's not the way they usually walk. They're going on their last walk. Sherlock actually did that, the last summer when I almost killed him with the vinegar. Yeah. And, um, Melvin was doing that and we decided to, uh, take him to the vet, get him. Um, I went there to support my mom. When Melvin laid there, he made a look at me and he made a whimper that I'd never heard before. And I knew that he understood that he was about to be killed. Mm. And, uh, I just erupted in this blubbering mess. And they, uh, the doctors like left my mom and everybody's coming over to comfort me. And I was supposed to be the one there to comfort her. And, uh, I wished I'd let Melvin just go and do his thing. Um, instead of laying on that cold fucking metal table and we buried him. But so I tell these stories, you know, just to commiserate. I, have an idea of how fucking hard that is. And Sherlock, I've never had a dog last nearly this long in my life, almost 12 years now. And, uh, yeah, we've had some close calls. We've had to think about his death a few times now. And, you know, one of these times coming up, it's going to be time. And, uh, or maybe one of us will beat him to it. Yeah. Teresa might die. I might die. Somebody's going to have to go through this. And as you, uh, 
send your condolences, Bill. You know, Teresa just went through the death of her father, and I thought my mom was going to die last year. And uh, as far as I know, she's still alive. Um, but yeah, Death Cult actually helped me listening to it when I was having struggling with death, and it was great to hear. It was great and strange to hear both Teresa and my voices talking about death and to like have that comfort me, uh, future me, you know, mm-hmm. now from the past. Um, I'm glad we did that episode. And God, you said so much there, Bill. Uh, you know, the COVID hysteria, the, and then how the dog, the death of your dog hit that more than, hit you more than your, uh, your, your, your family there. I understand that. Um, it's the people involved in our lives who may feel like we're supposed to feel more impacted by, um, our parent who we no longer live with when they die than our dog. But what I've come to realize about death, um, one of the things I think I know about it anyway, is that we mourn the loss of this part of our lives. Nothing bad happened to the person. Death itself is not bad. There's no bad thing that happened because the person or the dog is no longer there. It's that part of our lives that was them that's no longer there. That's the part I think we mourn. And that's why I think it makes sense to me when you say that you mourn your dog more than the passing of your family because your life wasn't so involved with your family right then. Your life was involved with your dog, so I totally get that. Um, and yeah, I love this saying. I think it was maybe from a Beatles song or something, but we're all walking each other home. Um, I think whatever we are, whatever we truly are, is like we're never apart. And it's just a feeling. It's a misperception of things, that we lose things, that things go away. And you know, in these times where we're talking about death so much, COVID, uh, just the dangers around us, I try to remind myself that that's not something to fear. Um, there's no place to go but home. And uh, yeah, I guess those are my thoughts on that. And we haven't heard from you in a while, Bill. That was way back. Like, God, I guess that was a couple seasons ago that your dad died. And he wrote soon after that. So uh, drop us a line, Bill. We'd love to hear how you're doing. Um, We get caught up in our shit. Sometimes we're slow about, like, uh, responding. We're slow to uh, read listener write-ins. We try to find ones that fit the episode. But we do always really appreciate the write-ins. We have appreciated every single time someone's reached out to us. So uh, if you're hearing this, Bill... um, Reach out to us, drop us a line, let us know how things are going. And for anybody else hearing this, you know, drop us a line, let us know how things are going. Yeah, we don't just read these during our check-in milepost episodes. We try to read one every episode, and uh, we'd love some new uh, content from our listeners. So anything going on in your life, uh, questions, you know, if you're living the hobo van life, share it. And Bill's uh, first message to us was actually the first listener write-in we ever read. Is that right? Yeah, I believe that was way back in season two. Huh. You can go to our website, escapingsociety.weebly, with a B, dot com, to contact us. It's right on the front page there. We also have a Facebook page at Escaping Society and a YouTube channel um, that you can access through our website to get any videos about... uh, trying to escape society because we're all well not all but gumby and i are trying um let's see is there anything else 
yeah, we're trying to escape society and have a website and Facebook page, so it's a work in progress. Uh, hopefully you'll tune in next time. Thanks for listening. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no address. Thank mm-hmm. you.